0: Does God accept the worship of all religions? Has God ever made a mistake? Is Jesus the first and greatest being created by God? Aren't Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses Christians? Is the Holy Spirit a divine being is the Holy Spirit equal with God the Father and, and God the Son, Jesus? Does God really know everything? And has God determined all that happens in the world? Just a few questions. We could list question after question about God and who He is and about His character and what He does and how He acts But you may already have answers to these. And what's important is where you're getting your answers from. Are your answers to those questions correct? And are they founded uh, in the word of God or are they founded from just your own mind and thinking? What you believe about God is so essential, it's so crucial, it's so vital for all of life and for eternal life If you weren't here last Sunday, we spent uh, our our first week looking at what we believe here at Discovery Alliance Church uh, and in the Christian Missionary Alliance, what it is to be a Christian. And we started with the Word of God, the Bible. And we saw that the Bible uh, is the inspired Word of God, that it is inerrant. It has no contradictions or errors, that it is the final authority for all areas of our life And the Word of God is sufficient for all of life. If we don't believe in God's Word and what it says about who God is and what God says about Himself, you're going to have some different answers to those questions that I began with. If you look at the bulletin in the back, there is some notes that I've placed in there. And you'll see specifically the belief statement as a church here that we believe about God and who He is We believe there is one God who is infinitely perfect, existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God has just given them the Ten Commandments through Moses. And now he points out in chapter 6, he says, hey, let me bring you back to the greatest commandment. About loving and worshiping God only. And here is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read to you verses uh, 4 through verse 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning believe that you are God, believe that you are one, we believe that you are perfect. We uh, ask this morning that you would continue to reveal your truth to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would wake us up, our minds, our hearts, our souls this morning to have a greater understanding uh, of what the word says for us about uh, you We pray that you would continue to reveal to us the great, uh, good, and glorious work that Jesus has done for us. And so, Father, we ask for a blessing on the reading and on the preaching of the Word, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin to look at this first point of our belief statement that we believe in one perfect God, I have for you up on the screen again Uh, this study that was done a few years ago by Lifeway, and they asked Christians uh, about the character of God. And so as I read these again, some of these are disturbing to me. If you look at that, 65% of the Christians that were asked uh, believe or agree that God is perfect and He cannot make a mistake. And You say, great, yes, but that's only 65% of Christians that were asked. If you look at the next one there, that Uh, 66% of Christians believe that God answers specific prayers. You might say, wonderful, 66%. But that's a problem. The people who don't believe that have a problem when they approach God in prayer and what they ask for. 60% agree that God knows everything, but does not determine all that happens in the world. Again, We could go down each of these paths and go to scripture to point out those are problems for those who don't believe that. But look on the far right. This is the most disturbing there. 64% of Christians in the United States of America agree that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. If you believe the word of God is the word of God and you read it, your heart would be disturbed at that stat as well. So let's look at this one perfect God. What do we believe as Christians here at Discovery Alliance Church? We believe uh, in only one God who is holy, infinite, eternal, almighty, perfect in truth and in love. God is not Buddha, Allah, Krishna, Zeus, Vishnu, Odin, or a force like Star Wars all rolled into one. God is one God and he is perfect and we believe that. In the the Old Testament, God tells us His name. His name is Yahweh. In your version in the Old Testament, you'll see that word capitalized over 6,800 times in the Old Testament. God says His name is Yahweh. Turn to Isaiah chapter 45. In Isaiah chapter 45, actually in, in, in throughout The book of Isaiah, there are places where God is revealing his word and speaking to Isaiah, and he describes who he is to Isaiah. I actually, at the beginning of Isaiah, you see that he had this vision of God, and he's just struck in awe of who God is. But here's what God says about himself in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5 and 6. God says this, I am the Lord, Yahweh, and there is no other Beside me there is no God. I equip you though you do not know equip, uh, let me see that again. I equip you though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. And if you've read the Old Testament and follow the nation of Israel, they worship God, Yahweh, and then they quickly fall away and they begin to build things of stone and wood, and they worship those things as God, and they get intermingled with the other uh, nations that do not worship God alone, and they begin to worship all their gods to the point that the nation of Israel at times would worship gods where they would take their children and burn them and sacrifice them in a fire to a false god. That's how far they would depart from worshiping God, which he said in his Ten Commandments and here in Deuteronomy where we're looking today, that there is only one God, the Lord God, he is one and he is the one who we worship. We have to ask the question when we look at the statement, why is God's oneness so important? Uh, in a moment, we'll look at this word, the Trinity, or believing in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is so important, a great doctrine that we must hold to as believers. But by God's oneness, we mean that He, there is only one God. There is no other God to worship. And therefore, it sets uh, us as Christians apart from any other belief in the world who believes in many other Gods, and if we worship anyone or anything else other than Yahweh, God alone, uh, we are in sin, and we are idolaters. <clears throat> in our statement, we believe that god that there is one God who is infinitely perfect uh, this this meaning that God is perfect. <clears throat> without limit, that there is no weaknesses, there are no flaws in God or in His Word. And when you read His Word, and I was challenging you last week to do this, if you have not read God's Word in its entirety, set out a plan, even if it takes you a few years, to read God's Word in its entirety, and you see the glorious descriptions of who God is and what He does. Work at hiding it in your heart, memorizing it. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he <clears throat> is saying, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in that, if you go and read that, it's something that he lays out is impossible for us, but he was making a point that God uh, is perfect, which we believe. And we see this in the characteristics of God. We see this in how God has acted and how he acts and will act <clears throat> And therefore, if you look at Exodus 34, we have a great description of some of the characteristics of who God is. In Exodus chapter 34, God reveals himself to Moses and describes himself. And uh, Moses wanted to see God. And he says, you know what, I'll let my goodness pass before you. And he covered Moses. He said, you can't see me, but you'll see my glory. And so in Exodus 34, verse 6, and seven, it says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity on the fathers, on the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is just one place, just one of many throughout the Word of God that we can see some of the characteristics of God. We see in this that God is holy. He is without sin, that He cannot lie, and He also cannot be in a relationship with people who are in sin. But I love the fact that he tells Moses that he's slow to anger and that he's forgiving. I'm thankful that God is patient with me and that he is forgiving of me. If you think about uh, Greek and Roman gods and maybe you study mythology, I remember that in sixth grade, we had a whole year of that, that those gods were fearful gods. I don't want to disobey Zeus or someone else. They'll strike you dead. You know, they'll get upset with you. But God describes himself as a steadfast loving God. Set apart from all the false gods in this world. He also is just though. God is just meaning therefore he has to deal with sin. That if he's a just judge that he has to punish sin and if we sin then we have to face that punishment and the punishment for sin according to the word of God is very serious. What is it? It's death. But I'm thankful that he is love is steadfast because God is love and he's abounding in steadfast love. And therefore, if you look at God's justice and God's love, if you look at all these characteristics, there's none of them that can be separated. And sometimes Christians, because they don't read the word of God, they have a wrong misunderstanding of who God is. So they go, well, yeah, God's just and he's loving Wait, way he's free. You know, let's just talk about God's love and his forgiveness. I don't want to talk about God being a just God. And they don't know how to handle this, but yet we have a perfect God. And in his characteristics, we see this and that God has to punish the sin. And he's just, but he loves us so greatly that he sends his son, Jesus Christ, To die on the cross in our place for our sins, who bears the wrath. Just like a few minutes ago, we were singing that He shed His blood so that we can be forgiven, and therefore a just judge, a just God, pours out His wrath on the Son so that we could be forgiven because He loves us. And you see, His characteristics are just perfect and complete, and there's no separating them. God is holy, He's loving, He's eternal, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, all-present, that these divine attributes of God uh, help us see the oneness of God and the perfectness of God. So God is infinitely perfect. That's what we believe in Scripture. But I want to spend a few moments looking to the the next part of our belief statement It says, uh, we believe there is one God who is infinitely perfect, existing eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second point is one God in three persons. Again, there is a study up on the screen that they asked the same group of Christians about the Trinity. And just a few highlights. One of them is 69% of the Christians polled believe and agree that there is one true God, In three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, we go, great, wonderful. But the people who don't believe them that are lacking and have a lack of understanding the word of God. And if you don't understand or believe God's word about God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit being one God in three persons. Then you're going to struggle when you read through the word of God or apply these things in your life. If you look to the far right there, it says in regarding to Jesus, 61% agree that Jesus is truly God with a divine nature, and Jesus is truly man with a human nature. We'll study this specifically next week in what we believe about Jesus, but that's important. A lot of heresies have come out of a misunderstanding of that statement right there. And then only 52% agree that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And so people who believe that fall under what the Jehovah Witnesses believe, that they believe that Jesus was created. And therefore, again, you have some major problems and flaws then when you go to the Word of God. Let's look here, though, at this word, the Trinity. You look in your concordance, the word's not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not there at all, but we say it as if it's, oh yeah, what's that verse on the Trinity? It says the Trinity. No, there is no word that says Trinity in the Word of God. You can't find it there. There's no verse to point to, but yet from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 21, you see the doctrine of the Trinity that God the Father, the Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God, if you have a wrong view of um, the Trinity, there is a number of problems you could become a modalist which I believe a lot of Christians are in the United States and you believe that God is one person and he appears as a son and he appears as the Holy Spirit and he appears as God the Father and that's opposite of what Scripture says. We have people who believe in the heresy of Arianism, which that Jesus was created by God. Again, Jehovah Witnesses believe that. Um, You could be uh, uh, these big old words that we could study at different times, but you could join the Mormons and believe that God is three equal, independent beings, and really they believe in three gods. Uh, do you see the danger that if you don't read God's Word in its entirety, and if you don't believe that it's God's actual words, you're not going to believe these truths about uh, what, who God says that He is. And it's hard at times to get our minds, because we're humans, around what the Trinity is. And we try to come up with all kinds of things. And look at this illustration here. There is no good human illustration that I can give you to say, here's how to understand the Trinity. I can tell you, it's in the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit can help you understand it. But until the day we're with God for eternity, and we're glorified, and our minds are complete with Him, you know, it's hard at times to understand these things, and it's okay. We just have to continue to pursue God's Word and ask the Holy Spirit to work in us. But we believe in one God, existing internally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are coexistent, co equal, co eternal, that each person, or as I've titled this, the Godhead, um, that they think, they act, they feel, they speak, they relate. If you read Genesis chapter 1, it says, Let us make man. In Genesis chapter 11, it says, Let us go down and, and, and mix up their languages. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, it says, Who will go for us? You get this picture in creation. The Trinity, God and three persons uh, working in an amazing way. The Trinity is so important that Jesus commands you, if you're a believer, in Matthew 28, verse 19, "...go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit." There's another picture, I believe, on the screen uh, of a circle, and it's got uh, God the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. And it's here's just one way that I'm going to use right now for the next few minutes for us to think about the Trinity, that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And this is just something that helps me when I read Scripture and I see these things, and therefore. The first thing is that the Father is fully God, that Jesus prayed to God the Father when he was in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane. You can read John chapter 17, and in verse 3, he says, Jesus prays and says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ is whom you have sent. And some people will read that and be like, wait a minute. Why is Jesus praying to God the Father if Jesus is God? Well, it helps us understand that the Father is fully God. And if you then take that the Son, Jesus, is fully God, we have to look at a number of things in which Colossians 2 verse 9 says that for in him the whole fullness of deity bodily dwells, We'll read a passage here in a minute that Jesus was nailed to the cross and put to death because he said he was God. That's really the reason why the nation of Israel, their leaders, were so angered and so incited and wanted Jesus dead. We believe that the Holy Spirit is fully God. If you read in the book of Acts, there's a story in chapter 5 in which a guy... Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold some land and they brought the, the, the money to the apostles and laid it at the feet and they lied about it, you know, saying, oh, we sold it. Yeah, and they say, hey, is this what the whole price you sold for? Yes, it is. And he drops dead. Before he drops dead, they said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, who is God. And so God the Father is fully God. God the Son, Jesus, is fully God. God the Holy Spirit is fully God. And we see this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, we have a great glorious picture of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So if you again look at that picture that we're looking at here, the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. Jesus is being baptized in water. That Jesus is fully God and he's fully Human, and so as he's being baptized, the Father is in heaven speaking, declaring who his Son is. If we could put that picture back up uh, as we're looking at this here the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, but also the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. That as Jesus is being baptized, he looks up and sees the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. There is this distinction, but the Holy Spirit is God. And I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that God, when we believe in faith... In Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit's work in your life right now today as we sit here to open the Word of God to you. I'm thankful that in Romans Romans chapter 8, that the Holy Spirit intercedes uh, before God the Father on behalf of believers' prayers. You ever been stuck in prayer, and you don't know what to pray and ask for, and you're kind of going through your regular checklist? Oh, thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for this. And it's kind of like you just stop, and maybe you just quit. And you're just, you know, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 tells us the Holy Spirit intercedes in behalf, in groanings and in words, praying on behalf of us for the things that we don't even know what to pray for, and I'm thankful for that. But also we believe that the Holy Spirit is not the Son and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in Mark chapter 1 after he's baptized. The Holy Spirit actually sends Jesus into the wilderness and directs Jesus that way where he fasts and he prays and he's tempted by Satan. But in this picture of the Godhead or the Trinity, as we see, we see this in creation. Again, God created in chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, the Holy Spirit hovered. Uh, we can read in number of passages, one being in John chapter 1, verse 3, and verse 10, where it says that the Son spoke the world into existence. But as we look at this, we also need to understand that the Father and the Son are one. Jesus says this in John 10. He says, Verse 30, I and the Father are one. And in John chapter 10, verse 33, it tells us again why they killed Jesus. The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And you can continue to read in that glorious chapter describing of who Jesus is, that he is God. But the Father and the Son are one, and the Son and the Spirit are one. In Romans chapter 8, again, you have this wonderful, glorious picture of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, fully God, working and how they work in our lives. And again, these, sometimes it's like, man, I don't understand this. And we have to say, Holy Spirit, give me understanding. And the third thing there is that the Father and the Spirit are one. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 tells us that, the, that now the Lord is the Spirit um, that is this Again, a description of who God is. And again, it's sometimes it's difficult for our human minds to understand, but so important that we would strive to and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and, and, and the next couple of weeks, because we'll look at Jesus, and we'll look at the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to the Trinity, but it's kind of, again, a, a summary of these things. But there's a glorious Wonderful picture in First Peter chapter one of the Godhead, the Trinity, and the gospel and the work of salvation in our lives. And so First Peter um, chapter one, verse two, it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of blood. You see, in the work of salvation, you have the Godhead, that God the Father, go read Ephesians chapter 1, had a plan before the foundations of earth and all of eternity to save his people from their sin. And the 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 work here of the Holy Spirit that happens after Jesus Christ died for us in our place and we believe in him, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and continues to cause us to grow in, in our spiritual maturity until the day we're with the Lord. It's a wonderful, just glorious, exciting picture when you go and read First Peter and the work of salvation. That again, a lot of times we just say, Oh, Jesus did this work, Jesus did that. I believe in him, and we lose sight that God the Father had a plan. And God, the Holy Spirit, does the work in our life so we can believe in Jesus Christ. A wonderful picture of God, who He is. One God in three persons. And what I want to do in the last few minutes, I want us to look at the first um, person uh, described in who we believe that God is, and God the Father. And I think this is so important for you and I to know God as Father I think that many people struggle with God as father because of some of our earthly fathers, some of the problems that we had and or have had or have now with earthly fathers. Some of us have never even known who our earthly father has been. Uh, some of us have earthly fathers that are so critical, and we think that God is that way. And really, we we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would help us separate in one sense our earthly fathers from our our good, glorious Heavenly Father. Because some of you have great earthly fathers, and you don't realize that our Heavenly Father is even greater. And so we need to look at God the Father, and that understanding is so important for our life today, to know that we have a loving Father who helps us, uh, and, and is not critical of us that even when we sin, I don't know if you sin this week, but as a Christian, if you sinned this week, some people struggle with, oh, they're so guilt-ridden and so shamed because they think that their father is ready to strike them with a lightning bolt. And they think that their heavenly father is so angered with them at this moment because of sin, and it's a wrong understanding or a lack of understanding of what God says about himself as God the Father. I pointed out just three of so many things about God our Father. One is that we have a Father who blesses us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. I think one of the things that helps us understand who God is as God the Father. As you look at all the religions in this world who describe their gods, you don't see a God, little g, being described as a loving Father who blesses His children. You Actually, you see the complete opposite when you read other religions in this world. Again, they believe in an angry God, a God who's mad at them, a God who wants to pour out just wrath on them, and a God who has no relationship with them. Think about the fact that as a Christian, we believe that God's Word teaches us we can know God the Father and we can have a loving relationship with God the Father. Again, if you go back and read 1 Peter chapter 1 where we were at just a minute ago, it says that our Father causes us to be born again great conversation that Jesus had with a guy named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It says you have to be born again, this picture of a spiritual birth in a sense that has to happen in our lives. But God the Father causes that and He adopts us and He gives us an inheritance and He therefore sees us and treats us as His sons and daughters. You know, um, my children will ask me, Many times when I'm heading off to come to church for something, Daddy, do you have to go? Can you just stay and let's play Legos right now? Let's get the cars out. You know, Can you just do this? Let's play right now. And I'm like, no, you know what? I don't want to go, but I have to go. I've got the responsibilities. But um, like it melts my heart. I'm like, they want me to be with them. And yet, You know, do we view God in a sense that we're like, I just want to sit with my Heavenly Father. I just want to listen to Him. I want to hear His words of encouragement with me. I just want to to talk to Him. And we find the words of our Heavenly Father in His Word. His loving words for us. The wonderful, glorious things that He's done for us, that we see Him as a Caring father. You know, fathers in this world want to, for the most part, most fathers want to bless their children. They want to love their children. They want to help their children. And when you see God as a father who blesses us as his children, you need to hold tightly to the belief in God's word that teaches us about adoption people who are enemies of God the Father who have sinned greatly against Him and because He's just, He he has to deal with this. He doesn't have to. God did not need you for His joy. God takes joy in His own glory. God is perfect. He doesn't need this world. He doesn't need this universe. He doesn't need you and He doesn't need me. But He loves us so greatly that He gives us breath that He gives us life, and He takes joy in blessing us as His children. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you weren't here earlier this year, we spent time going through the book of Ephesians, and I just want us to look back at verses 4 through 5 here. God blesses us by having a glorious plan, and in Ephesians chapter 1, um, actually, I'll look at verse 3. He chose us and he predestined us to be his children. That was his plan from all of eternity that he takes delight in you. Loves you so greatly that he would give his son, Jesus, for us. To redeem us, to adopt us. I mean, to think about the children in this world. We heard this a few months ago from a ministry that was visiting here. Over 300 children in this Missoula area who have no parents or their parents are not in their life and they need parents. To think that there's over 300 children within a few miles of us that need a father and need a mother and they may have no idea that they have a heavenly father who loves them so greatly. We should rejoice and bless God's name and worship him for adopting us as his sons and daughters and giving us an inheritance. And so because of this glorious plan, uh, it's something that should cause us to praise him. But again, your misunderstanding of God the Father can really disturb things. And you could be asking the question that I have many times. Christians heard that maybe even I've said myself is, God, why are you doing this to me? Anyone ever felt that way or heard someone before say, "God, why did you do this?" or "Why did you allow this?" This last week, I I, I hesitated for a moment when I was like, "God, why?" And I was like, "Whoa, I can't no." See, this week I had an, a car accident. And I and I don't have my truck for the next few days, and I'm kind of bummed about it. I'm actually embarrassed about it, and I'm like, "Oh, man, I had an accident. I lived in LA for 24 years, never had an accident, and I moved to Montana and have one." And I'm driving this big old tank of a truck and And long story short, I had this accident. And most people would be like, man, God, why did you let? I was on my way to church. I was on my way to go pray with something and this happens. And it's like we want to blame God and we lose sight of the fact that, you know what? I hit a car because I was reaching over for my coffee. (laughs) Embarrassing. But something little like that. Take it to daily life and all the things that we begin to, even if we don't say it out loud, we want to jump on. It. Like, God, why did you do that? Why? And it's like, no, read the book of Job. Maybe the enemy's after you. Maybe because we're in a fallen world, that's why you have cancer. Though, yes, God allows certain things to happen. But what it is, is we want to avoid the suffering part. Not what, we don't want to acknowledge that our good heavenly father allows suffering so that we can see him greater and glorious that he brings us through the suffering. And so we misunderstand God the Father. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, there's a guy who says that, oh, Master, you're, I knew you are a hard man, and, and, and he's like, I buried this stuff in the ground. Go read Matthew chapter 25. But he misunderstood the Master, just like you and I can misunderstand the Father. But we have a Father who is worthy of our praise. James chapter 1 verse 17 every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of life lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change we have a heavenly Father who is worthy of our praise as the worship team comes forward we're going to sing praises to our Lord our God our Father but we need to praise God the Father for who he is, what he's done, how he's blessed us, how he's working in our lives now. And I want to remind you again, there's so many things that we could study about God the Father. But let me just remind you of this because I think in our world, this is a very present misunderstanding of God the Father is that we have a heavenly Father who loves us so greatly that he blesses us by giving us good things and providing for us In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, Jesus says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Again, some of us don't ever ask the Father to provide for certain needs because we have a misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of who our loving Father is. I'd challenge and urge you and beg with you to spend time in God's word that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes that you would know more about God your father and if you're here and you don't believe any of these things we studied last week that you're not going to believe it not going to believe it apart from the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to the truth and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes and that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the only way that you can be saved and that he is God and he is the only one worthy of worship And that if you confess your sins before him, confess him as Lord, he will save you. Father, I pray that as we sing, as we give, as we search your word. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us more and more until the day that we see you face to face. Father, forgive us for blaming you or casting things that you, for things in life that are going on. And Lord, we pray this morning for any of us who are just doubting, if you're a good loving father, I pray that you would reveal that this morning, that you would show each person how you love us greatly through your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you continue to work on us and soften our hearts and receive the praise from our lips. In Jesus' name, amen.